member of the local sewing circle that made clothes for the poor and read a great number of books from the circulating library. Recently, her father's behavior had made her begin to feel uneasy. Instead of being grateful to Verity for running his household competently, Mr. Bascombe had begun to point out that it was time she thought of setting up her own household. The first time he had voiced this, Verity had smiled thinking that he would soon drop the subject. But he had returned to it the next day and the days after that. A promising young lawyer, George Carruthers, had taken to walking home with them after church on Sunday. Mr. Bascombe had said that Verity was not giving such a promising beau enough encouragement. She was twenty-four, her father had pointed out, and would soon be wearing caps. Verity was not precisely beautiful. She had thick brown hair and black eyes that sparkled with intelligence. Her figure was neat, but a trifle short. She was somewhat thinner than was considered fashionably correct, and had no dimples on her elbows, a sad defect. Everyone liked Verity. She was considered a cheerful, sensible lady. But no one knew of the passionate romantic that lurked inside Verity the romantic who had turned down those proposals of marriage. Perhaps George Carruthers was her last hope. He was all that was suitable. He belonged to the professional middle class, his legs were passable, and his skin, if a trifle sallow, was at least unmarked. He had a great deal of good sense, and no one knew that Verity was heartily tired of good sense, sound values, and a lack of humor. But she privately thought that if she could depress Mr. Carruthers' hopes, then her father would become resigned to the idea of a spinster daughter. The only reason for marriage that Verity could see was to gain a comfortable home and independence, and she had both of those in her father's household. The arrival of Charlotte's letter only caused a small ruffle in the tranquil pool of her life. Verity thought of the spoiled seminary brat that had been Charlotte, put the letter aside so that she could send a refusal later in the day, and continued to eat her breakfast. Mr. Bascombe looked at the discarded letter with a certain amount of irritation. It was a very unusual event for a letter from London to arrive in Market Bassett, and he thought Verity might at least have volunteered to tell him who it was from. Verity, he said sharply. I remark you have received a letter from London. Yes, Papa. From whom? No one of importance, Verity said placidly. A girl who was at the seminary in Bath the same time as I has written to ask me to visit her in London. Where in London? Berkeley Square. Berkeley Square? That is the best address in England. Who is she? She is now a Mrs. Charlotte Manners and is a widow, and, I believe, extremely rich. I am always reading about her in the social columns. When I knew her, she was the Honorable Charlotte Perrin. An aristocrat? Yes, Papa, and a very pampered and spoiled one. Mr. Bascombe took a deep breath. You will go, of course. No, said Verity, surprised. I was not a particular friend of Charlotte's. Besides, the idea of staying for any length of time with some stranger is fatiguing.
I have made up my mind. You are to go, said Mr. Bascombe. I have long wished to travel to Edinburgh to stay with an old friend. This is my opportunity. I shall go when you go to London. But I said you will go, shouted Mr. Bascombe. I had ambitions for you when I sent you to that expensive seminary in Bath. I thought you would make useful friends. But I've watched you turn down invitation after invitation. I am not going to go to my grave feeling that if it had not been for me, you would have been married with children. I did not accept any of those invitations because the girls who sent them to me were far above me in social rank. I would have felt sadly at a loss in any of their great mansions. We manage very comfortably, Papa. There is no reason for me to marry.